Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On today's show, Luke Marr, a.k.a. Hot Lamode, a fashion commentator and self-described meme queen who represents a new guard within fashion media. Luke talks about growing up in New York City and developing his taste through street photography. I went to school on 16th Street in high school and would walk down to the Staten Island Ferry because that's where I'm from, trash. And I would, like, take photos, a la, like, Bill Cunningham, not as good, didn't have nearly the eye. But, like, that's sort of what trained my eye to, like, what I personally was drawn to. Learning from the comment section of his YouTube videos, which have accrued millions of views. My audience is actually so fucking smart. And I feel like with YouTube, people think, like, YouTube audiences are, like, dumb. But honestly, the comments in my comment section are constantly, like, educating me, teaching me things I had no idea about. Criticizing some of today's biggest names in fashion without fear. In reality, like, Rihanna needs to be told, mm, it's not really hitting hard with anybody. Get better. Do better. Like, create better. Actually get yourself in the atelier. Develop a fabric. Develop styles. Develop silhouettes. You sit there and drape. I want to watch you drape. I would, I would pay money to watch. I think we all would pay money to watch Rihanna drape. The fashion industry's ineptitude at catering to plus-size consumers. That's what a really good designer is. Somebody that doesn't just make clothes for the runway, but can actually execute a garment that looks good on any type of body. And I even let him drag my fave, Timothy Chalamet. What are your thoughts of Timothée Chalamet as a style icon? Oh, I don't. Uh, let's not get dramatic. Um, I, I wouldn't say style icon. Shut up, Evan. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I am, once again, joined by my producer, Alden Peters. Alden? Hello. So, I want to talk about fashion documentaries because I think it's timely with our guest today, but also I'm trying to like give myself, you know, demarcators of like the weekend. And so it was like rainy last Sunday and I was like, okay, I'm going to come home from my boyfriends. I'm going to get really, really high and just watch a ton of fashion documentaries. And I just saw like some really great documentaries and I put a few clips up of them on Instagram and people kept asking like, what's this one? What's that one? So I just wanted to talk through some of my favorites and maybe Alden, I'll even motivate you to get interested in one of these. (laughs) Yes, I have not seen any of these. So just a couple like briefly that I wanted to mention. So Unzipped is for many people a very seminal fashion documentary. It's from 1995. It was directed by Douglas Keeve. And it basically starts at the end of Isaac Mizrahi's spring-summer 1994 collection. The reviews have just come out and, like, totally panned the collection. It's mostly in black and white. And it basically, it's very just a couple of cameras following Isaac Mizrahi as he prepares for his next collection. And it features Eartha Kitt, Sandra Bernhardt, Naomi Campbell, all have cameos, as well as his mother. And it's just a really kind of quaint documentary about a real genius who, like, doesn't sort of get his flowers today. And I really, really enjoyed that film. And also, being that it's, like, 1994, it's just the idea of, like, following someone with a camera was still kind of unusual at the time, especially in the fashion world, like really seeing the inner life of a designer and their sort of how much like their, the way they think goes into the way they design. So that's one. And then just, I wanted to mention two others that are like my absolute favorite. So one is Valentino, The Last Emperor. It's from 2009. It's directed by Mike Tyroner. It's basically the 
story of Valentino Garavani uh, and his very final collection with Valentino. He retired um, shortly thereafter the documentary was made. For a piece that I wrote for Paper Magazine, I decided to uh, speak with some of the directors and, and Matt was one of them. And he said to me that for years, the fashion press had written reams about Valentino and swallowed whole the typical genius at work storyline that the House of Valentino expertly fed them. But he actually said it was, in fact, Valentino and his partner, Giancarli Giametti, who were, in fact, sort of the duo that was really behind the role. He said, quote, it was, in fact, a double act, and the greatest achievement of these two innovative Romans was the story of their relationship. It was a marriage, something they took some pains to hide over the years. And so I just think this is such a great documentary, especially for people looking for, like, a queer film that's not sort of packaged as a queer film. It's just these two men that are madly in love with each other and madly in love with their work that they together built. And it's just a really like poignant film. And so last, I wanted to mention Dior and I, which is from 2014 and it's directed by Frederick Chang. It basically is the story of designer Raf Simmons as he's joining the house of Christian Dior. And there's a lot of tension that kind of builds up because he is bringing a very modern perspective to a heritage brand. And so it's sort of about bringing this minimalist menswear designer into a house that's sort of built on femininity and extravagance and sort of the tension that ensues there. So these are just three that I really recommend, but there's a a story that I did for paper. It's called the 10 best fashion documentaries to watch, but I actually list about 50, many of which were crowdsourced through this fabulous Twitter thread, I just posed the question on Twitter and then a bunch of really incredible fashion Twitter people reposted it and shared theirs. And so a great example of the power of social media, but I tried to really make a comprehensive list. And so if you like fashion or you like documentary films, I highly encourage you to check out this list, but also just, you know, watch a fashion documentary. It's really incredible to see the access that some of these designers have given to some of these these directors. And it, it's really incredible to sort of learn more about how something that seems to some people as simple as, you know, a clothing collection, to look at the artisanal craft of it and, and the time and effort that goes into making it. Amazing. So with that, I want to turn things over to Luke. Let's do it. A self-described fashion commentator and meme queen, he is the founder of the hugely popular YouTube channel Hot Limode, which produces videos intended to make the fashion industry and fashion brands digestible and understandable for the average person. Fun, sassy, bitchy, analytical. Those are the four words that embody the channel's tone. His top 10 Alexander McQueen Shows to Know video from 2018 has racked up over 1 million views, as have his Met Gala roasts and reviews. At 17, he started Hot Mode as an Instagram account sharing fashion-centric memes. By 21, he became a viral sensation with profiles in Teen Vogue, Paper Magazine, and One By Me for a website I dare not mention in 2020. Still, I'm proud of that story. He's been featured in GQ, Harper's Bazaar, Days, W Mag, and more. I don't know if the fashion industry likes that I do these things. I don't even know if they know, he told me in a 2018 interview, but I don't care anymore. I know I'm not ever going to get invited to Vogue or get W Magazine to do an interview with me because I upset the balance of what they do, end quote. He is fresh, he is outspoken, he is part of a new guard disrupting the fashion industry in a way that I truly find delightful. He is Luke Marr, AKA Hot Limone. Hi. <laughs> wow, I feel really gassed up. That is not a good way to start this podcast. Now I'm feeling myself. Uh, what did I miss or what needs correction? No, I think that's all. I loved all of that. So to start with, you and I share a lot in common in our comfort with calling out aspects of the industry that I don't even consider them to be uh, controversial opinions often, but because of the industry functions the way that it does and the industry likes to keep everything in order, you sort of upset the balance. Talk to me about that. It's so weird because like, I'm at this point now where I have, I feel like I have upset the balance and like recently I've been like, oh, like I'm not like one of the original people that like really did this, but I, I don't want to gas myself up and I try not to be like prideful, but like, Honestly, besides Diet Prada, like I'm that bitch and like I've helped to create like the current narrative about fashion that is so much more democratized than it ever has been in like a press sort of way. And it's actually really fun. More and more, as much as I like started doing all the bitchy like, you know, draggings and the roasts and all that stuff, more and more I'm so 
in love with this industry and like getting to actually learn so much that I didn't know when I started this whole shebang is like fueling me now. Like learning about fucking Muta Prada in the 1990s is like my current obsession. And I just want to read about her for like days and days and days and days. And I remember when we first met coming away from it being like, this guy knows his shit. It's not just, oh, I want to make a video in which I roast this red carpet. It's, I want to make a video in which we talk about this red carpet. And there's going to be the occasional garment that gets roasted because it warrants it. But there's also going to be garments that I love. And not only am I going to tell you that I love them, I'm going to tell you why I love them in detail. Which, like, you're one of the first people to ever really, like, explain to me why what I do is so good because I'm very much so like hard on myself so I don't think I'm funny and like this isn't me just like again like asking for like attention it's like I truly don't think I'm funny I truly don't think I know what I'm talking about like I don't think I'm well read so when you explained to me there was this Phoebe Waller bridge like Balenciaga Vogue moment you were like the way that you described the light and how the light affected the dress and how that like you were like that made me change my thoughts and I was like oh and coming from you it was a really big deal because it's like this is somebody who like cuts through the bullshit and it's not just like bullshit, you know, Vogue review. It's like somebody actually really thinks that I'm smart and that person is also smart. So it, like it just sort of reinforced that. And I felt like, oh, shit. OK. All right. Like, you know, this is good. Everything's working out. Great. Cool. 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 So, yeah, it's I feel like I'm just constantly learning and I'm excited and like, you know, love doing it, love sharing that information and love like getting the feedback because my audience is actually so fucking smart. And I feel like with YouTube, people think like YouTube audiences are like dumb. But honestly, the comments in my comment section are constantly like educating me, teaching me things I had no idea about, like, you know, reading me my pronunciation. And it's like, I try to like get better and better every single time because of that. I can relate to the idea of understanding the intelligence of an audience and really being grateful for that. Because I know for me, so often... For instance, when I spot uh, a celebrity wearing Dolce & Gabbana, more often than not, it's some young college student sending me that they have their own, whether it be Google or whatnot, and they're sending it to me because they want me to amplify it. And it's almost like you start to realize that there's just so much talent out there that's interested in the exact same stuff that we are. And the more we sort of work to create a community amongst ourselves and support each other, and a lot of it comes to do with like credit and things like that, um, the better off we'll all be. Yeah, 100. And I think like that whole credit thing also is so important. I really like, I'm not the best at it because I think in reality, like, you know, there's so because I get like the same sort of DMs where people are like, what do you think of this? And that like sparks an idea for me that might not be exactly what they sent me. But like, do I give them credit for something that like they spark the like? So, yeah. The, but I think the communities are so and I feel like we are sort of share a community in certain parts. So, yeah, I feel like we've really like engrossed this group of really cool people that are super educated now and like super smart and wanting to learn and like develop their own whole you know, voices, which I think is really cool. And I always say that my opinion is so malleable in terms of, especially with fashion, but in sort of most things where it's like, I will see something, I'll have my immediate reaction to it, but I never really like settle into that reaction staunchly. So for instance, you know, uh, the Gaga Stupid Love came out a few weeks ago. And uh, I remember I I had a strong reaction in the beginning, that's skewed, I would say, more negative than positive, but I, but wasn't hateful. But as time progresses and I see more people who I respect commenting on aspects of the video that I missed, I sort of then start to unpack my own opinion. And it's not to say that it changes entirely, but I think it sort of grows. Well, I mean, like, can we talk about Stupid Love? By all means. Okay, great. Love the video that. from a few weeks ago. I mean, like, when it came out, I literally was like, this is, mm, like, okay. Like, you know, and then I, like, really started to listen to it. And I was like, okay, this is a bop. Like, I can dance to this. Like, cute. And then I went to LA and I saw Nicola Formichetti, who is Gaga's fashion director. And I kind of realized, I'm not a big Gaga stan, but, like, since becoming friends with Nicola, I've sort of, like, fallen into the world of Lady Gaga and which I think is really funny and not like a mean way it's just like it's so different than what I'm used to it's not like Mugler and it's not Louis Vuitton and it's not you know Dior it's it's not very like (laughs) rough and tough and like young creatives and like you know queer creator like 
I think that's why I respect what they're going for is because it's hearkening back to that early sort of gaga of like punk, I don't give a fuck, like this is me, like I'm going to just wear crazy shit. But we don't really have like the fashion creators to like deliver on that now, unfortunately, hopefully some come out. But like, I'm excited to see where this album goes because I think it is a real hearkening back to that early era in a different matter. But I'm also not a gaga expert. So I, that's just my outside opinion. Yeah, but you 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 know your shit. Uh, let me ask you, um, Nicola. Do you say Nicola? I say Nicola. Nicola. I pronounce everybody's name wrong. No, you pronounce it right. I pronounce it wrong. Remember when you educated me about? There's some brand. Was it? Oh, Eddie. Oh yeah, Eddie. Because I used to say Hedy Slimane. Oh, so did I. I used to say Heidi. So yeah. No, I mean <laughs> we glowed <forget> up. <laughs> we really did. Uh, so you were friends with Nicola. So I imagine that that makes it difficult to be so publicly critical. Not to say you want to be, I'm not insinuating that you have feelings that you're hiding, but I guess what I'm getting at is as you start to find yourself with more proximity to either the people, to the people that you're talking about, do you find it can be more difficult to offer unbiased criticism? I've been thinking about that a lot because it is very like difficult to sort of be unbiased. But I think the other thing about that that maybe people don't understand is that as you get more in proximity of people. So like a few weeks ago when I saw Harry, um, I like didn't really care about him. And so now that I'm like friendlier with like his stylist and like, you know, I just get more of like the Harry Styles vibe. So I understand the aesthetic more. I like have more, you know, love for it. And so... It is more biased, but I think also the closer that you rotate to that sort of sphere, the more you understand the nuances and context of that artist and how that piece of clothing or garment or styling choice plays into their story. Because I think celebrity is so different than like fashion show reviews is that celebrities have their own context and nuance that a fashion brand has to insert themselves into perfectly and that's the stylist's job whereas a fashion brand has its own story that they do every single season somebody buys it but the celebrity you have to sort of mirror the clothing to their side which is why i don't like billy eilish's stylist right now because i think billy eilish is brilliant and it annoys the shit out of me that she's put in monogram bullshit and it's so like unbecoming because i think her music videos are fantastic i think her music is fantastic i think her look is fantastic but I think the monogram bullshit has to go. And so that's, it comes from a place of love of like, I think you're much smarter or much better or more, you know, of this space. And you need to find the designer or brand or stylist that will help you fit into that space so that the image matches the sound and the aesthetic. You know, for me, there have been instances a lot lately where one sort of celebrity who's seen as a big fashion plate has been misstepping quite often. And it's someone that I am personally friends with. And so how I sort of remedy the situation is I don't talk about that person lately when it comes to fashion, because I'm not going to, I admittedly, I'm not going to publicly disparage a friend, but I also don't want to compromise my taste level. So to me, my workaround in that situation is, uh, we're going to put this on the back burner. I that I do that often because it's like I do not know designers personally, but like speak to them, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, if I'm not seeing clothing in person, it's much harder to judge. In reality, like even this season, I haven't really done a lot of reviews because it's like if I'm not there, I'm not going to talk about the clothes because I can only see the front of the clothes. So like Richard Quinn is a great example. I'm doing his review right now. The back of the dress, one of his dresses says, God save the Quinn. It's like, that's really funny. That's really chic. But I'm not in London to see that. So from the Vogue runway images, I can't even really tell that. So like, so you do have to sort of step back and say like, mm, if I don't have the total sort of, you know, panache about this whole designer or celebrity, you know, I'm going to take that step back. So I do that as well. And I think it's the only real way to go about doing that kind of stuff. You know, this makes me think about Gaga's The Valentino, the pink Valentino from the Venice premiere of A Star Is Born. Oh, the feathered. I think. Yeah, it's the mm -hmm. Venice, I think. And because you're talking about sort of like the difference between seeing something in person, so much of what I think makes that dress so memorable 
was how it was photographed with the rain. Yeah, and she's like it, and those wide shots, it's, and like yeah, it's and she was serving a hundred percent. But I think it's like I think a lot about there are so many instances, and I think Zendaya is a great example of this of like knowing that it's not just the dress, it's how you pose in it, it's where on the step and repeat you are, if you're on the step and repeat, because like, as we just saw with uh, a few weeks ago, Brie Larson stepped out in this Rodarte behind a Ford Motors step and repeat. And besides the dress being all kinds of cuckoo crazy, in my opinion. It was bad. I was seeing that Ford Motors uh, step and repeat, and I'm just like, girl, escape. Like, Well, Beyonce's been doing it. Beyonce does not give a... Can I say fuck? Yeah. Okay. Fancy does not give a fuck at all. She doesn't care. She's like, I'm going to post my pictures on my Instagram. You can all screenshot them from there. And I'm like, you know what, Beyonce? You're right. I will screenshot them and then talk about them. Totally. So for so long, pop culture has been dominated by film and, and theater and television and music with the occasional fashion moment breaking through, a la like Rihanna at the Met Gala in 2015. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be changing lately, thanks to folks that are making fashion more of a pop culture event. You know, the one that comes to mind for me was like what, what Rihanna did with recording the Fenty show and putting it on Amazon and sort of making a cultural moment, uh, stuffing the front row and the runway with familiar faces, et cetera, which sort of made me wonder about what got you first interested in fashion before it was so popular within uh, the mainstream culture as it sort of is now. Oh, um, I mean, I started Hot Limote as like a street style blog. That was like the thing that really got me into it. So like I would just walk home from school. I went to school on 16th Street in high school and would walk down to the Staten Island Ferry because that's where I'm from, trash. And I would like take photos, a la like Bill Cunningham, not as good, didn't have nearly the eye, but like that's sort of what trained my eye to like what I personally was drawn to. And then I think like getting into fashion shows like Chanel, I mean, Karl Lagerfeld's like iconic sets, I think are so instrumental to that brand, at least for the past 30 years before Virginie got there. So that sort of is the thing that really like got me on board in fashion before it was like super duper mainstream. And I think I wanted to make it mainstream because I see it like TV. It's like really good reality TV when they all fight each other. It's so good. But they don't do that anymore. It's so boring. We get we get shades of it. You know, we had this instance a few weeks ago where Vanessa Friedman from the New York Times wrote an article kind of likening Virgil Abloh, who is the current creative director of Louis Vuitton, to Karl Lagerfeld. And then Virgil quote tweeted the article and should I pull, do you remember what what exactly he said? He was, I don't know. He was like, I'm going to do a presentation about it. And it's like, oh, shut up, Virgil. And then Vanessa comments and says, why don't you come and do it at the Times building, essentially. And I know Gregory, Baby Gregory. Yeah, Baby Gregory then commented on it saying, you know, oh, Vanessa just told Virgil to pull up. And insinuating that like, okay, this is like a, this is the uh, new version of a fashion feud playing out in the public space. Mm. I don't think either party intended their comment as such, but- I don't agree with that. Oh, you don't think so? No, I mean, I'm sorry. Vanessa Friedman can be all haughty toddy New York Times as much as she wants, but you made a clickbait title. Mind you, it was a very waspy upper crust clickbait title, but- a clickbait title nonetheless. And you got the response you wanted. And I feel like that was her being like a clickbait queen, like the rest of us, you know, getting that vibe and then acting like, oh, that's not the response I wanted. Like, that's exactly the response you wanted because you wrote in the the little, not byline, but whatever is under the title, the headline, like, oh, the fashion people will be horrified, but is it the truth or what? It's like, you're writing clickbait titles. Like, let's let's call a spade a spade here. Like, that's the truth. And you got the response you wanted from Virgil. I also think in general, making comparisons of one current designer to one designer from 50 years ago automatically gets complicated because designers today exist so much more in the public space. There's so much more like personalities in a way that just seeing the Virgil's like lifestyle and everything makes it so much harder because Carl was so much more sort of 
enigmatic because he wasn't we weren't getting Karl Lagerfeld's Instagram of you know him out and about yeah so getting back to your origin story a little bit you were around 16 you said when, or when you yeah, first okay, was, yeah started taking these photographs good, yeah and so you say okay I, I'm really interested in getting into Karl Lagerfeld so can you sort of walk me through like where does the so the spark happens you know you want to learn more then what actions do you take to sort of properly educate yourself on something like Chanel Wikipedia like on, I think that's the other thing that so many people don't really understand. People are like, "Oh, what book should I buy?" I'm like, "Read a Wikipedia page first. Like, it's free. You don't have to spend the money on the book." And it's so like you don't have to stay on Chanel. You go to Chanel, and then you go to Dior, and then you go to Givenchy and Armani. Like, there's so much free access on the internet that like you don't have to necessarily buy a magazine or a book to get into fashion. Like, it's all there and that's what I did I literally was like okay let me read about Dior and like then I found out 1947 like the new look like that sort of is like where you you know start to weave your own fashion historical like mindset and then it sort of goes from there but it's all out there already on the internet maybe not the obscure stuff but like it's there and what kind of brain do you have in terms of when you read this information and you hear things like dates and and number of crystals embellished onto a certain gown or something, how much do you like facts and figures stay in your brain? Not much at all. I mean, I'm trying to get good at it because it's good to like be able to reference a show. And like, I think iconic shows, you know, it's like I now know Spring Summer 1996 is the ugly chic Prada show that was very controversial at the time. You know, but it also only stays in my brain for a certain amount of time because, like, I did all the research about Yves Saint Laurent at Dior, but in reality, like, it all kind of flows out. I, I took art history, and I'm I'm very good at art history. I got a hundred on my midterm and a ninety nine on my final because I'm very good at reading information and then regurgitating it back in like a fun sort of way that makes people think I understand what they're telling me. So that's kind of like my mindset is like bring it in put it out and then for YouTube it's good because the content is always there like even if I don't remember it somebody else can watch it because you know it's permanently there hopefully so you start to take these photos in the meantime you're sort of giving yourself a fashion education in real time what, what was the first sort of entry point you had to social media mm, we had in high school we were allowed iPads so I like would be on my on an iPad in religion class, like liking tweets. And I wouldn't pay attention to what the teachers were saying. I would just read articles on Twitter. And then I slowly got into Instagram. And then I think it must've been January of 2015. My new year's resolution was to start YouTube. So like it all sort I would say like 2014, 2013, 2015 is like when I sort of started to get into it, but it went Twitter, Instagram, then YouTube. And how old were you at the time? YouTube, I definitely was 17. I would say Instagram and Twitter, I was like 15, 16, maybe. So you're 15, 16, 17. You know that fashion is your love and you start to want to sort of like find a way to take your love of fashion and, and put it into these spaces. But there's less of a template than there is now, right? So in the beginning, what were you sort of thinking in terms of how you wanted these platforms to operate for you? And were you thinking... You know, now you are a brand. Were you thinking in that way in the beginning? Maybe not like, oh my God, I'm a brand. But I think I I wanted to be a brand. And I think that's sort of where it all came from. And so there was no template. Like nobody talked about fashion on YouTube unless it was a lookbook or a haul when I started doing it. Like that is the truth. Um, and then... I sort of started to like make videos that you kind of in the beginning, I feel like sort of grasp onto everything and try to do a little bit of everything. And I realized like lookbooks was not my thing, not aesthetically pleasing like that. Never going to have an Eddie Slaman, like Celine, you know, thigh that is 13 centimeters going around. So that wasn't me. So I stopped doing that. And then I think 2016, I started doing a series of like fashion 101 which was like history and i did it for black history month so i did like edward Enfield, pat mcgrath naomi campbell and shane oliver from hood by air and that's sort of how like the fashion history stuff started and then it sort of like rigmarole its way from there so in the beginning you're doing these fashion history videos for the first time you're starting to get followers likes comments feedback what was that like in the beginning for you when you first started to engage with other people who 
loved fashion and or had strong opinions about it. I think like the constant thing is like, you don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Like that's like a big, I mean, there are a lot of people that are like, oh my God, like, and even then it was like, oh, thank you for this. I didn't know about this. But there was, there still is a lot of like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're saying. Like just cancel your channel, like shut it down, blah, blah, blah. There's much more positive feedback, but I also do thrive on the negative feedback because I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to, whatever you just said that I'm not doing, I'm going to do that. And then you're going to have to shut up about it. So that's kind of how it goes. Are you ever surprised by the, not just energy people will expense to be negative, but like the ways in which people will go out of their way to find negativity where it didn't exist? Yeah, I actually had a DM this morning. I think sometimes like people like do grasp onto like very short straws, but you know, even when people grasp onto short straws, I try to find the actual like good part of what they're saying, even if it's super negative and say like, how can I fix that? How can I make that better? How can I like stop these short straw, you know, comments that are really mean and nasty? I think one thing that I find that people don't often consider is that you can be really aware of the fashion industry's shortcomings with regard to body representation on the whole and also say, I love the Celine aesthetic, which is a 90-pound model. Oh, yeah. And it's not that love of the Celine aesthetic is not glamorizing that all people should look like this. It is saying that there is a woman or man out there that looks like this, and this is what said woman or man should be wearing. You know, there are a lot of brands that are sort of, you know, bringing in plus-size models, which is so lovely to see. Like, I saw it at Oscar this season, and I saw it on the runway, and I was like, Oh my God, like, this is great. I like, I'm so happy for that. But I think also with Eddie, it's like, that is what he does. And as much as I would love to see a plus size model on Eddie's runway, which I think actually would be very, very chic and very, very cool. I'm also not going to be like, oh my God. Cause he's like discriminating against all of us. Yeah. Collect- it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, and from what I've heard from like those <laughs> fittings, it's like if you cannot put on the pair of pants, you're not in. Like it doesn't matter what you look like, who you're related to. Like it, it's can you fit in the pants? Yes. If you can, great. Good luck. Walk the show. Hunch over and skulk around. If you can't, thanks for coming. See you later. And I think it's a matter of framing it up as that this is not an aspirational brand by any sense. The intention feels very much like I'm making something for a very small, literally, audience. Yeah. But I mean, also, like, the other thing is, like, why can't Eddie make really good jeans for plus-size girls? Like, he makes good jeans for the skinny bitches, make good jeans for plus-size girls. And, like, maybe you don't want to put it on the runway. That's, like, a whole different conversation. But in the store... I hear that Celine is high qual. I hear that everybody loves the construction of the Celine jean. So where, you know, like that I think is, you know, don't have to have it on the runway, I guess, per se, if that's what he wants. But like having the product there, I think not having the product there is a bad business move on their part. Absolutely. Because as we've seen time and time again, the plus size consumer is ready to spend. Oh, ready. Ready, willing, has the money out, the card out, you know, the the Apple Pay. Like, it's there. You know, my friend Liana just did a a video on Vogue featuring Paloma Elsesser. And she was showing off her shoe collection in the video. And it was enormous. And one thing that Paloma said was the reason that she has so many shoes is because as a big girl, shoes and bags are the thing that always fit. Sneakers and shoes are a big part of how I dress because I don't have access to every piece of clothing. So I want to express myself in accessories and shoes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
shoes and bags and that's why I have so many and so much of it. Okay. And it just was this reminder to me of like, oh, here you have this consumer ready to spend that just simply is going to buy the thing that is easiest for them to purchase because it's actually accessible to them. Which I think is like a really bad thing about the fashion industry that like needs to continue to be called out is that like designers need to get their shit together and start actually developing plus size looks that are not just adaptations from a size zero or a size two from the runway, like actually design something that will look good specifically for a plus size customer. Yeah. Because that to me is like fashion design innovation. The reason we don't see so much innovation on the runway nowadays is because I think the innovation is in other parts of the apparel industry, not the fashion industry, but the apparel industry. And we need to focus on that before we can get back to, you know, having good runway moments. I also think we just need more nomenclature around sizing in general because, you know, when we talk about plus size, for instance, I think colloquially in the industry, we're thinking like size six and up is like veering into plus size when in actuality, the average American woman is a size 14 to 16. That is the average. Mm -hmm. So our industry is already so skewed in its sense of the body and its sense that to be a size six or a size eight or size 10 is somehow plus size, I think that even inhibits us in so many ways because the amount of course correction necessary and the amount of ways in which a woman with a size 14 body who is entirely average in America is made to feel like a big, big girl in the fashion industry sort of shows exactly what's so fucked up about all of this. Oh yeah, 100%. So who in fashion right now would you say is doing the most? And we, we could talk about that in terms of the designers who are literally giving us runway collections that we would love to see couture collections from. So who comes to mind for me is like Jonathan Anderson or Richard Quinn. Uh, But more I mean of the people you love that are making you excited about fashion. Rick Owens, I love. I think every season is like really, really amazing. I want to say Olivier just because like those leather corsets from this most recent Bellman collection was really, really good. I mean, Iris Van Herpen. Like, 100% always love what she does. I think she's the most revolutionary designer currently working in the industry, like 3D printing, laser cutting. You know, the way she goes about interacting with artists and scientists and all of these, like, she has, like, the MIT of, you know, I don't even know where she's from, like, Amsterdam or wherever, making her clothes. Like, they make her clothes. Like, a ma- like like th- that's who makes her clothes. That's amazing. Like, that, I think, like, so many, like, a designer that really, you know, develops textile, I think is also really important. I'm trying to think of who, you know, develops their own textiles. I don't think a lot. I like that answer. Okay, great. Love that. So on the other side of it, and I think I know the answer, who is doing the least for you in terms of their professional output? Oh, just about everyone. Literally, I this season... There are maybe five brands on my on my right hand that I could count that I really actually thought, oh, good job. And what I love about you is I'm going to ask you to name them right now. Oh, yeah, I will. And that's what I love about you. Okay, let's go. In London, I thought Simone Rocha was so depressing this season, which was really, really sad. In New York, Laquan Smith, uh, everybody really hyped that up, and I don't think it delivered at all. Mark Jacobs, pff, imagine, I can't, I fully could not imagine saying that was a good collection. Uh, like, Miss Thing just remade, like, 1960s looks in basic bitch fabric, and then they were all like, oh my god, it's so great, there's a performance, like, the girls are running around in underwear, like, they do that backstage, just go backstage, what is the fucking point of this? Who else? I mean, Dior, obviously, shout out Marie Grazia, hey bitch, how you doing? Love that eyeliner, it's always killing. Chloe was really rough this season, they, pour, they put that Natasha Ramsey Lee in the grave poor thing that's five okay great good love that <laughs> but wait let's go back uh to number four maria grazia is the current creative director of christian dior and from my perspective correct me if i'm wrong i would say one of your biggest arch nemeses not i i would characterize it as, as that not to say she knows who you are but maybe she does but i say arch nemeses because she's someone who you not only delight in going after but i think people delight in you going after after her. And I want to be clear here when I say you're going after her, you're never going after her personally. You're going after her work at Christian Dior, which I feel you have very strong feelings towards the negative 
about. Yes, I do. Um, the only thing personally that I ever go about her at now is the eyeliner, which really is my favorite. Like, it's so bold and smoky, and I really, like, it makes me laugh. It's so great. But yeah, I think she's such a disappointment in so many ways. And, like, I'm, like, working my way through the Dior designers. There are seven of them, if you do not know. And she truly is so disappointing, and it's so sad because she's the first woman. And so you're like, oh, God, like, they made this big deal about, like, she's the first woman, like, she's a feminist, and then, like, she sucks. And it's like, I think everybody's paralyzed to say that because they think just because the identity politics exist doesn't mean that you are, like, you don't get criticism. Like, there needs to be criticism in order to better someone. So, like, Rihanna winning that British Fashion Council award. I'm really sorry. Like, the reason they gave that to her is because they wanted to look good giving a black woman an award and because it's owned by LVMH. But in reality, like, Rihanna needs to be told, "Mm, it's not really hitting hard with anybody. Get better. Do better like create better, actually get yourself in the atelier, develop a fabric, develop styles, develop silhouettes. You sit there and drape. I want to watch you drape. I would, I would pay money to watch. I think we all would pay money to watch Rihanna drape. So do that, but don't expect me to sit here and be like, wow, Rihanna's such a great designer. Like I love that. It's so wonderful. It's like, it's not. And I'm not going to like bullshit and say that it is. And it's the same thing with Maria Grazia. Great. She's a feminist. Doesn't, I mean, the consent neon light up signs i have to say this season really work so So she had these consent signs giant neon letters that in all of the images of the clothing are prominently featured above the model and i think for a lot of us it's just sort of like we understand what the intended message is we wonder sort of like the depth of that message in that space and there's plenty of articles you can read about this but the ways in which fashion will try and monetize social movements um, to varying degrees of quote unquote success. And this is one example of it's like, so you got my attention on the word consent. Now what Maria Grazia? Like, what do you want? What do you want to do? And what are you going to do? I mean, like besides make a t-shirt, I don't think anything. And Maria Grazia famously created Dior's We Should All Be Feminist uh, t-shirt years and years ago that I believe retailed for like $800 or something. It was rough. Let me ask you this. You brought up Rihanna and you being unafraid to say the things that many people are thinking, but choose not to say out of fear for sort of how stan culture functions. Mm. I remember you and I, I texted you because there was a viral tweet going around about you. I hope you don't mind if we bring this no, up. No, that like, one was scary, but also, but now I look back on it, it was funny, but at the time it was kind of scary. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So what was the original tweet that made people so angry? I believe it was a video of me, 17 second clip that said, this white faggot, um, how dare he drag Ariana Grande. Now, listen, I am a white faggot and I do often drag Ariana Grande, but I will say that clip was cut from a minute and a half clip where I actually loved Ariana Grande's John Batista Valley look. Specifically, thought it was really great and the best John Batista moment we've seen in a while, but it was like, conveniently cut so that it's the part where I call her a basic bitch because she is a basic bitch. You could fight you could fight amongst yourselves about that, but I stand by that. And it was just so interesting to see people really like twist your words or like cut out convenient parts and like not give something context where like it was the first time I was being really positive about something in a really long time and I was like, what the fuck? Like I was being nice. Like can't you just take the nicety? But no, people like want, you know, and that's the thing is people just can't like it's like people can't accept, you know, the good with the bad because nothing is ever amazing, perfect, wonderful. And nothing is ever absolutely terrible. Like even Maria Grazia, like I find things in Maria Grazia's collections that I like and I think she should expand upon. But, you know, she never does. So that's why I drag her. But there are always little bits and pieces in every single thing that is, you know, workable, malleable. You put out this video critiquing Ariana Grande on the red carpet. Someone takes a small chunk of that video, posts it on Twitter, it goes viral, and with they have basically put this small video out of context and dragged you. And that accrued thousands of likes. I think it was at 39K yeah. likes. And, and then I texted you because I feel very protective of you. Thank you. Um, and I care about you very much. And I know that there are real ways in which that can 
affect your mental health. Not you, Luke, anyone sort of on the receiving end of vitriol, especially in a situation in which you've been taken out of context and stan culture is elevating something and gassing something up. And also, as everyone in this room knows, it's like people enjoy the art of dragging, especially in places like Twitter. So I know it's less, um, you feel a certain, you feel a different way about it now, but can you sort of take me back to the moment in terms of how that viral tweet affected you? It's actually kind of, I was just thinking about like reminiscing on it. Like at the moment I was actually like very like freaked out because I was like, oh my God, like am I canceled? Like, you know, but in reality, I think also for the most part, my criticism is usually quite valid and normally comes from a really good place, even though people, you know, I'm so upset and disappointed that you didn't give us what we all deserved. And that's, it's not like, I hate you and I want you to, I think you're going to suck regardless. Like, no, I just expect better. And so I demand better. But in that moment, it was really scary. I think like somebody did like threaten violence. They were like, he lives in New York, like go beat his ass to somebody else. And I was like, oh, okay, Um, that's different. And the other thing is people are very much so like, oh, like you deal out criticism, like you should be able to take it. And it's like, I put out criticism about clothing. So if you want to drag me about my looks, go for it. But like dragging me about my hair, my face, like what I look like, threatening to beat the shit out of me. Like that's when it's like, I didn't do that. I didn't say I want to, you know, beat up whoever because their outfit is bad. I just said it doesn't look good. And, you know, I creatively made it funny and said they don't look good. So I think if you're, you know, criticizing me in that respect, go for it. All about it. I love a good joke. Like, drag the shit out of me. Like, I drag Rihanna's outfit. You drag my outfit. If we're going to do it, let's do it on the same level. I actually disagree with you, though, about I don't think people should be able to criticize what you're wearing, even though you criticize what people are wearing, because you are a fashion critic, you know? And so I understand what I'm gathering from what you're saying is like, if you're going to do it, keep it on on topic. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like, if anything, criticize the form of criticism that you thought that like the point was not well made or that you or provide a counterpoint or something. But I think to go after you in any way, whether it be your clothing or the way you look is counterproductive. I mean, this reminds me of when Lizzo went after one of the critics and said something along the lines of, well, you could never write music like this or something. And it's like, of course, the music critic couldn't write music like you, Lizzo. Like, that's not the point. This is a music critic. It's someone who is studied and who is paid to do this professionally. They are a critic. They are not a fellow performer and they are not writing this as you are not writing from the perspective of someone who also is walking red carpets at Couture, yeah. you know? And so I think um, that idea that because you dole it out, you should take it. I understand on the one perspective, but I also think like calling out what you're wearing in a video, it's like you're kind of missing the point. So let's take a break. If you enjoyed what you just heard, I have some good news for you. There are extended interviews with our talent available on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash shutupevan. For those of you that aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a way for myself, my producer Alden, to make a little bit of coin off of this podcast. That support will allow us to continue to make more episodes. So if you liked what you heard and want to support what we're doing and the continued effort to keep doing it, please consider subscribing to our Patreon today. And we're back with Luke Hot Limone. Hello. When people talk to you, do you, in, in like interview context, do you like Luke or Hot Limone? Luke. I mean, like Hot Limone is only people that yeah. like don't actually know my name. And they're yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. don't know your name. And I'm like, I know you're, you're Hot Limone. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to talk about Diet Prada. So for people that know nothing, a quick little background on Diet Prada. Diet Prada is an Instagram account that started a couple years ago that really has become one of the biggest voices of I want to say dissent within the fashion industry. Basically, Diet Prada began by calling out the ways in which a lot of major design houses were copying the work of either other major designers' past collections and or young designers who do not have the access uh, that many established brands do have. And so they were viewed in the beginning as uh, this really great sort of policing of an industry that was often un unregulated. And there were many instances in which someone with their very small following would say, hey, 
this major house just stole my look and Diet Prada through their massive following was able to amplify that conversation and in some instances get the brand to either issue an apology or remove the look from the collection. They've done a lot of good in terms of bringing attention to injustices within the industry. What's your thoughts on Diet Prada? I think that turning a originally anonymous call-out Instagram into a scalable business is stupid. Like, you are the industry watchdogs, blah, blah, blah. Like, nobody asks you to become, like, fashion celebrities. Like, just stay the industry watchdog because that's what the account was. And you think that, so what I'm gathering is, like, through the celebrity that these two founders, who originally were anonymous and have subsequently released their names, um, through this ascent to sort of, like, social media celebrity or fashion celebrity, through getting invited to these shows and doing brand partnerships, it sounds like what you're saying is they've sort of lost their credibility in the space by no longer becoming the watchdog, but becoming themselves a part of the industry. A hundred percent. And I think anybody that like with more than 17 brain cells could like obviously see that. But like even I don't even like to give them press because it's like I just feel like they're going to like turn this around and like turn it into something good for themselves. And I'm just like, I don't think like the reviews aren't reviews it's like a vogue runway review so it's paid for like and i just don't think they have a backbone which sucks for them let me ask you one more question about them and then we'll move on but i I am sort of curious i think one thing that i find really fascinating about diet prada like infinitely fascinating is how big the audience is and i say that because there are so many times that they'll put something on their social media that i consider really niche They'll, you know, call out one brand for making a dress that looks vaguely similar to another one because I will say their sort of side-by-sides have gotten increasingly less obvious in terms of how the um, copying is happening. Sometimes I look at two things and I'm like, these dresses don't look anything alike. I wonder if their arms hurt. They're reaching. (laughs) They're really reaching sometimes. Um, I wonder if you are ever surprised at the way in which they get thousands and thousands of people to engage with fashion. I really do think, to their credit, and again, like you, I'm not the biggest fan of Diet Prada, but I do think, to their credit, it's remarkable the size of their audience and how engaged they are. What do you make of the ways in which they've taken seemingly niche conversations within fashion and brought them into prominence? Um, I like I like to look at the numbers on Instagram. I really do like to look at the numbers. And I mean, you know, 50 to 100K is like, it's good. It's decent. But also like that's your main shtick. Should be better, in my opinion. But um, I mean, yeah, like they've brought in the narrative of fashion. But they've brought in the narrative of fashion in a way that's like bitchy. But I wouldn't say it's like fun, sassy, bitchy, analytical, like, it's very, you know, sort of, okay, like, these two things look alike, or we like this dress, or we made a meme where it's like, this person looks like a cabbage, and it's like, okay. It just doesn't interest me, and I think, like, for people that aren't into fashion, it's super easy to get into because you understand it, and, like, you know, but I think once you actually, like, have a sort of fashion sense, it sort of pitters away, and that could happen to me as well. Like, it could happen to anybody, but that's, you know, how sort of social media runs is, you know, you become a trend, and so I think maybe that trend might be waning from what I'm seeing in terms of the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I recently interviewed Tom and Lorenzo, who run the popular fashion blog, Tom and Lorenzo. And they have a new book coming out about RuPaul's Drag Race, which just dropped a few weeks ago. And one of the things that we talked about was what it's like as two gay men of a certain age who make their living criticizing fashion, more often than not, worn by women. And one thing that Tom said to me in the interview was that the jokes that Joan Rivers made in the heyday of her red carpet commentary If they, as two gay men, were to say the same things, they would easily be perceived as misogynistic. Do you ever have any fear around what we do and how so often we're talking about women, you know, we are talking about their bodies and how they look in garments. Do you ever have any fear of being labeled as misogynistic? Weirdly, I just had a comment that was like, uh, you're, you know, misogynistic. And it, it was a reference to, I talked about somebody's boobs. But when I talk about boobs, I don't talk, like a woman's breasts. I'm not I like I'm not checking out her areola. I like I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way her breasts are situated in a dress. Everything to me like 
I could be Joan Rivers and say, I, I didn't really watch Fashion Police growing up, but like I pretty positive she didn't just talk about the clothing. They talked about the makeup, the hair, all that. Like very rarely do I do that unless it's really, truly bad or really, truly good. But I don't know about makeup. I don't know about hair. So you know what I do? Keep my snout out. None of my fucking business. I'm going to keep it that way. Even with Lizzo. I think Lizzo is somebody that, you know, talking about her as like a very unapologetic plus size woman on a red carpet. Lizzo's body is never of my concern. My concern is how the dress fits Lizzo's body. It's about the dress. It is not, it's about the dress or the jumpsuit or the pants or the shirt. Like it's not about the body of the person because in reality your job as the wearer of the clothing is to be yourself and have your body in the clothing it's the it's the job of the designer to you know really efficiently create a garment that will look good on you and that's why you know when you talk about like alexander mcqueen alexander mcqueen was so amazing because in reality he was a tailor so he knew how to cut a suit or a skirt suit or a jacket or a blazer for a woman even if she was not a runway model, because in reality, the runway models weren't buying McQueen. It was the little old British biddies going into his store because they knew he could cut a suit for a woman. And I'm sure that he made them all look great. That's what a really good designer is. Somebody that doesn't just make clothes for the runway, but can actually execute a garment that looks good on any type of body. Let's end with a little bit of a game. Love a game. So I, there are like four or five celebrities that I just wanted to like sort of briefly kick the ball out and and have a little bit back and forth about them. I want to start with my fave, my increasingly controversial fave in terms of their their styling, and that is Mr. Timothée Chalamet. What are your thoughts of Timothée Chalamet as a style icon? Oh, I don't uh, let's not get dramatic. Um I I wouldn't say style icon. I think like obviously he's like a nice skinny little French boy and so like, you know, if he was wearing Celine it would be great. I think that, you know, he needs to like find somebody that can curate the looks because like listen I get wanting to wear the big brands like LV and Gucci and but I also know that at a certain point like we have to we have to get a bit more niche and like I love the hater Ackerman moment but like give me an Andy Moulamister moment like where's that like where's that like smart I need like a smart little fashion like shut up Luke moment from him every once in a while and I don't get that enough but I have heard that, like, apparently he only wore women designers in support of Greta for the whole of that award season. And so that's why he had, like, the Stella McCartney and Prada. Like, that's actually, from what I hear, is why he did that. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of Stella lately, even after the fact. That's interesting. Yeah, that's what Um, I'm hearing. What are your thoughts when you see someone like me shaking the table over a Timothy look that you might find to be really subpar. And be honest with me. Are you ever like, Evan, like you're doing the most? Um, No, because I think everybody has their own, like, I mean, I like we're all human beings. So we all have our own perceptions and own own loves. And I mean, like, I really liked those Moschino pants. I didn't really like that. I, I enjoyed the fact that I could talk about panniers because I do like a pannier. And everybody on Twitter was like, this is stupid. Like, this is so reductive. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, I... It was a moment for me, but I think everybody has their own perception. So like, I, like when you're like going off on it, I like to see your perspective. Like, I like to see what you think. Cause in the same way that I might say something that you're like, oh my God, like I don't do actual like Instagram or Twitter reviews the night of a red carpet, but like I read yours. I wait for yours. I w- like, I wait for the good, the good girls on Twitter and Instagram to like talk about everything. And then I sort of like cycle through the, f- you know, images and develop my own thoughts. So I like when you have something to say about little Timmy Tim. Uh, Zendaya. I love Zendaya. I think like I, you know, that Joan of Arc moment, fucking iconic. Love Law. I think he's really, really great. I think. Law Roach. Yeah. Stylist. Um, I think he really is like pushed Zendaya. And I listened to a really good podcast where he like talked about his process and how like he just sort of was like, put her in style. Like he would like demand that they put her in things and they'd be like, no, 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 she's relevant. Like, we don't know who she is. And he was like, no, put her in it because she's a gorgeous girl. And it worked out because she's a gorgeous girl. And I think that they really do take good little fashion moments. And like, they seem to have a really good relationship, her and law, which I think is really nice to see. Yeah. A stylist and a celebrity really work together well. Quick plug real quick. I have a story. I just interviewed La Roach um, for my column in Paper Magazine, Wear Me Out. And it's a really, really great interview in which Law talks at length about styling Zendaya. He talks about 
her upcoming press tour for her new movie, Dune, which is also starring Timothy Chalamet. <gasps> And we also talk about Dolce & Gabbana. Allah used to outfit Zendaya in Dolce & Gabbana in 2015 and 2016. And we haven't seen him put any of his clients in Dolce & Gabbana except for recently an editorial spread with Kerry Washington in Dolce & Gabbana, which I asked him about. So if you want to see Law Roach's response to all of that, you know, Google Evan Roscott's Law Roach paper or whatever. Oh, I'm going we'll to read that. that. Another celebrity that people have a lot to say about is Harry Styles. Uh, when I post about him, one of the biggest criticism that, that I'll often get is saying that he is co-opting queer aesthetics. What's your response to that? Uh, did David Bowie co-opt queer aesthetics in the 1970s? Like, I get, like, I get it. We hate, we hate. What is it called when they thirst trap gays? The straights. But queer baiting. Yeah, queer baiting. We hate a queer bait. Queer we really, baiting. really do. The girls on TikTok love to do it. Um... But I mean, like, in reality, he, I was saying this to Harry Lambert a few weekends ago, um, that he looks like my grandpa. In, like, the most polite, loving way, my grandfather is an old British man who wears a white shirt, a green sweater vest, and brown khakis every single day of his life. And that's what they, that's what Harry's kind of look right now is. Like, I don't know how wearing pearls is, you know, like, I don't know any gays or, you know, super duper queer queens that go out and wear pearls. Like, I think Harry, you know, alongside like ASAP Rocky sort of did that. The the wearing the scarf around the head, that was like Alessandra Michele and then ASAP did it. Like, so I get it. There is like a certain part of that that I agree with, but also at a certain point, there also are like not everything that is super feminine necessarily comes out of the queer community necessarily. Who's the best dressed celebrity right now? Like who looks good every time or who's opinion do I like who's like sartorial choices do I really respect yes to both okay um sartorial choices because listen you could have a really great sartorial choice like you pick a good designer but it doesn't look good that can be a thing I like Florence Pugh I think in that way like she wore that LaCroix Dries collab like you know she did wear it um Sarah Paulson also is an icon that we love I mean Zendaya easy peasy Name one celebrity who should fire their stylist. Margot Robbie. Same. Kate Young, if you're listening, I'm so sorry, sweetie, but you're not good at your job. I'm so sorry. Disappointment upon disappointment upon disappointment. Like, Margot doesn't deserve that. No. She really, she's young, too. And especially disappointing because I, this is me being, like, weird, but, like, I do feel like her not having a great carpet moment around bombshell and around birds of prey does affect like people's excitement i mean i mean i mean like hyperbolic but like when you see like when timothy had those great moments around the king that was when we got the hider at the film festival like when that happened it drew i had no idea what the king was and all of a sudden i'm like fuck like cancel my plans i'm watching the king on netflix or like i'm putting it on the background but like you know like i was like that to me that moment, or even Gaga's Star is Born Carpets, changed the perception around the film because she was taking the art of fashion so seriously in those moments, in those moments. Love Tom, love Sandra. Hi, yeah, yes. shout out Tom and Sandra because honestly, I think you're so right, is that people think fashion does not matter and even celebrities have said in the past, like, think either Lizzo or Billie Eilish were like, fashion doesn't affect what I do, blah, blah, blah. It does very much so because I think you're so right. Like that builds that real sort of momentum for them. And I think that Lady Gaga thing, those red carpet moments, I personally think did a 180 on her career. Because it was, uh, from my perspective as an outsider, wasn't going super duper good at that point. But that movie plus those red carpet looks flipped that switch. Yeah, and I can tell you... From the inside, as a Gaga stand, uh, I can concur with what you are saying. Um, thank you so much. I want to say, to close us out, one thing, I mean, I love a lot of things about you, but one of my favorite things about you and this friendship that you and I have developed is how much and how easy it is for me to root for you in this industry. I feel like you are so young and yet so measured and joyous in your approach to fashion, your love of fashion. It's people like you that get me excited about fashion and that in those moments, like when I'm IDing a red carpet in real time and I'm kind of like going a little like psycho, like my boyfriend won't even be around me in those moments. 
it's people like you that make those moments ultimately really fun for me and that make this industry something that I'm desperate to be a part of and committed to changing for the better. Thank you. I really, I really, no, like you're somebody that honestly, every time you're like, you're really good. I'm like, oh my God, Evan said I'm really good. Okay, great. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Like Luke, the voices in the head, like pay attention. He's saying, no, I really appreciate that. And honestly, I think you have like forced me to really like up my pop culture knowledge, which I think is so important to like my job. So I want to thank you for that. Cause like, Honestly, without your little updates, oh, girl. And also, I think everybody knows this, but that fucking Meryl Streep screaming thing is my favorite thing in the entire world <laughs> ever. Like, it's... I love it so much. Thank you for that. Um, thank Meryl. I mean, honestly, it's so often people will be like, they'll think of me with regards to that. And I'm like, that's her, but I'll, I'll take any. Oh, take it. Yeah, why not? Um, so just can we end by telling people where they can find you? Because you're on many platforms at the moment. Yes, a lot. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, at Hot Lamess or at Hot Lamode. I got banned from Twitter on Hot Lamode. So uh, YouTube, um, Hot Lamode. Uh, and I also have a podcast that Evan will be coming on. And we already discussed it called the Fashion Victims Podcast. So yeah, go there if you want to. It's a really, really great podcast. And especially because there are so few podcasts dedicated to fashion. Um, I had to delete Business of Fashion's podcast because I just was like, this noise in my ear is so nauseating and I, I'm really excited to have a fashion podcast with people that I actually want to hear from. Thank you. <laughs> At Imran. Nope. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I'm Evan Ross Katz. Shut Up Evan is produced and edited by Alden Peters. This podcast is made possible in part by our supporters on Patreon. So we tip our hat to you all. Go to patreon.com backslash shutupevan to get access to bonus content, including extended interviews and bonus clips. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for giving a shit about anything that I have to say. 